You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everybody. You are about to hear an amazing episode that I did with Eric Paquette of Abroaders. And we had an awesome time on Facebook Live talking about cashing in credit card rewards and taking advantage of airline miles. This guy knows how to fly for free. And he tells you all the secrets. So if you want to do that, listen in. We have an awesome episode. And I just wanted to tell you about our yoga trip to Costa Rica this April. Once you get all those free miles, come down to Costa Rica April 24th through April 29th and spend six days with myself and Luz Garcia, our yoga teacher It would be an honor to get to know you in person. If you have any questions, send me a message on Instagram, Matt Wilson TV, or just check it out on under30experiences.com. And no, you do not need to be under 30. I'm no longer 30, and our yoga and mindfulness trips tend to skew a little bit older. People uh, like our podcast listeners who are looking to take better care of themselves. So if you like that, hit me up. Would love to see you there. Welcome to Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Eric Paquette. And Eric, I am thrilled to have you on. You are the CEO and founder of A Broader. Is it A Broader or A Broaders? It's plural, a broader, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's plural. Okay, I may have uh, just mistagged you on our <laughs> Facebook Live, but uh, I'm pumped to have you because you are an expert in using reward miles and uh, cashing in cheap flights uh, or cashing in miles and rewards points to earn flights. So how did you get into that? Man, so uh, I, as soon as I got out of college, I did a study abroad in Santiago, Chile when I was a junior at, at Michigan. And as soon as I left school, like that was top priority is I just wanted to travel. Um, and at the time, you know, wasn't making hardly any money. It was really a challenge to save up. And most of the places I wanted to go were cheap to, to be, you know, to live and, you know, do all the stuff that you want to explore. It was just a matter of, of getting a ticket. And so I kind of fell into, uh, the points and miles thing, just poking around online, uh, and saw that, you know, there was a credit card bonus for an American airlines card that was supposedly enough miles to get me back and forth to Brazil. And I was like, all right, that sounds good. Uh, and so I signed up for this card and got my, my bonus of 60,000 miles. Um, and it actually, you know, it was incredibly easy to, to book this particular trip. And I paid about like $5 and 60 cents in taxes, um, which is just like the, you know, the TSA uh, security fee. And that was it. That was the only out-of-pocket cost for this trip. Uh, and so as soon as I had that experience, it just clicked and I just started going deeper and deeper into the points and miles thing. Um, and you know, just got hooked really quick. Excellent. I can imagine it would be quite addictive. Uh, so I know a lot of people I asked in the under 30 experiences alumni group, and I got a bunch of questions and uh, I want to try to make this as interactive as possible, especially because we're doing this on Facebook live. If anybody has any questions, I would love for them to, to drop them underneath, but I'll get us, uh, get us rolling and ask you. So I see why you started. Of course, everybody wants to fly for free if possible, uh, but where would you 
send people to start? So, I mean, I think the, the first thing, like, uh, it really doesn't matter too much where you want to go uh, or what kinds of travel goals you have. Um, kind of the fundamental first steps is number one, you got to take care of your credit because that's a really important component to, to being able to earn these credit card miles, uh, earn rewards through, through your regular spend. So a big part of our philosophy is, um, you know, you have to be careful with credit cards, right? Because the whole reason that this thing is possible is because there's some people that rack up big debts and are paying tons of interest on their cards. And so that's a big piece of why the banks can afford to buy these miles from the airlines and use them as incentives for, for people to sign up and open new rewards cards. So the first thing is you have to commit to being, uh, you know, responsible and make sure that you're doing this in a way that you're just leveraging the spending that you're going to do anyways. So your gas, your groceries, your business expenses, all of those things can turn into free flights for you. Um, but you have to make sure, number one, um, that you're, you're paying attention to your credit score, paying your bills on time. Uh, and once you kind of hit that, that minimum threshold, um, the next step is really to just pick a card uh, that you can start earning points uh, with, with the spending that you're going to do anyways. Um, and, you know, I generally recommend starting with uh, one of the cards that earns transferable points. So uh, both Chase, Amex and Citibank have uh, have like a transferable points currency where you earn the points on the card. And then when you actually want to book travel, you can move those points to a whole bunch of different airlines. Um, and so that's really like the, the super safe, easy way to start, uh, because it gives you just a ton of options when you're ready to book travel. Okay, excellent. Uh, and can we just cover credit in a little bit more depth? Yeah, definitely. because there are so I mean, in my mailbox all the time, I get credit cards, yeah. rewards, uh, offers or, or credit card offers rather. And I recently I looked for a flight and it was with United, I was trying to book a flight. And uh, I was trying to book a flight with rewards miles and I I came up short and they said, oh, well, you could just get this $50,000. Yeah. And it was a $50,000 bonus, which seems pretty good. And then and it was no annual fee for the first year. Yep. But why I didn't make that uh, last minute decision, you know, why I didn't make the, the I thought the urge was because it was going to be $95 a year. Yeah. After that, and you know, whatever fifty thousand miles is worth, and we can get into that later. It didn't seem like it was going to pay off in the long run, uh, as I already have a travel travel credit card. So, yeah. but regard re regarding uh, credit, now some people I've heard will sign up for cards and then cancel them, but that hurts your credit, as far as I know. Yeah, so there's a lot of, I guess, misunderstanding, or at least we get a lot of questions um, about how this process impacts your credit. Um, so the first thing, just at the, the highest level, uh, there's just a couple of major components to your credit score. So the way FICO scores your credit, uh, the most important thing, which is weighted at 35% of your total score, is just paying your bills on time. So that's by far the most important thing you can do. Um, and my recommendation for that, uh, especially if you have more than one card or your life financially is a little bit more complicated, uh, is to just make sure that your cards are set up on auto pay. Um, and if you like to really have control and review everything you buy at the end of the month, you can just set the auto pay for the minimum payment. Um, but you always want to pay off the full balance that's due so you avoid interest. Um, but that's number one to protect your credit. Uh, the second thing is keeping your utilization low. So the overall amount of credit that you have is 
um, is one factor and how much you're spending uh, at any given time is, is a sign of risk for the banks. Um, so the second thing to keep your credit healthy is that if you have a card with say a $5,000 credit limit, you don't want to max that card out at any point in the month and, and have $4,700 on the card because when the banks look at that, they see like, oh, he barely has any credit left. He's just using all of the, the credit that's available. So that's 30% of your score. So those two pieces right there make up two thirds of everything that goes into your credit score. Um, and the, the third factor is your age of, of your accounts. So your total credit history, uh, the longer you've had cards, the more of a, of a timeline there is to that experience, the more the banks feel confident that you know, you're gonna continue to pay your bills on time and so forth. Um, and so as far as opening new cards, um, generally it actually can help your score uh, by opening up new cards because of that credit utilization factor. So if you've just got one card that you've had for a long time, maybe you've got a, a $4,000 credit limit and you've used it really responsibly and you open a new card uh, that has a, a significant credit limit, it can actually help your score um, because you now are overall, assuming your spending stays constant, you're spending less of the, the total amount of money uh, that's available to you. Uh, the place that you can get in trouble is number one, um, you don't want to go apply for a whole bunch of cards all at once. And so it's really important to do this in, in like a way that's well paced, you know, so like one or two cards uh, can get you one or two round trip flights anywhere you want to go. Um, but you can't do that every month uh, without, you know, making the banks freak out and like, okay, what is this, what is this dude doing? Um, and so our recommendation is generally, um, you know, to start slow, get one new car that's got a bonus that, that can get you the travel goal that you have coming up and then, you know, wait three or four months. Most of the people that we work with, um, get between two and four cards a year. Um, and you don't have to, you know, necessarily go, uh, where you're just stacking cards on top of cards and having a ton of them. Uh, it is true that a lot of people that we work with and I myself, you know, I've probably got 15 or 20 rewards cards. Um, my credit's really healthy and I'm able to manage those annual fees, but it's not necessary to get uh, a big benefit from doing this. Because number one, if you start paying attention to your credit, you're going to have healthy long-term credit that's helpful if you want to buy a house, if you want to buy a car. So it's a good investment to make anyways. Um, but generally, you know, you can get a couple of trips a year out of your regular spending. And especially for small business owners, folks that, that have businesses that either do online advertising or, you know, just have a higher amount of spending, you don't necessarily need to be signing up for a bunch of new cards. You really just want to get a mix of cards uh, that earns good rewards um, at, a, at a high rate for, for the types of things that you buy. And then you just use those cards for, for those purchases. And, you know, you've got maybe one or two trips a year that you can book on miles uh, and not have to pay for the ticket. Okay, great. So if you're watching on Facebook right now, uh, you can, of course, give this uh, a like or drop any of your comments on uh, drop any of your comments below that want to ask some questions. I have a whole list from our under 30 experiences alumni, but I, I want to kind of guide, uh, guide us in this conversation so people understand, all right, uh, here's where I am, here's where I want to go. And your suggestion was, okay, sign up for one of these credit cards where your points can then be transferred. So what would your recommendation on a good starting credit card be? Uh, so most of the time, and actually this is something that we, we set up through our website with a free account where we'll make recommendations based on uh, the type of travel you have and, and your spending. 
Um, so if anybody listening uh, isn't sure kind of where to start, uh, that is a really good way to, to do it. We go through and just do it as a, as a free service. Take a look at the, the factors that go into it are, one, your travel plans. Um, there's kind of, I think, the simplest difference is if you fly mostly domestically within the U.S., um, you probably want one type of points. And if you travel, if your goal is more about international travel or especially about booking a business class ticket, uh, then you probably want another type of points. Um, and then the other piece that, that goes into it is, is just, um, you know, any points that you already have. Uh, so if you have either maybe have traveled for work or have racked up miles um, kind of the traditional way from flying, um, that can be a factor as well in terms of which type of points to go for. But generally our beginner advice is to start with one of the cards from Chase. Um, the Sapphire Preferred is a really good card. Um, it's, it's one of the cards that those points can transfer uh, to 12 or 13 different airlines. And so uh, when you have the flexibility to move the points to different frequent flyer programs, uh, it just makes it way easier uh, to book tickets. Because I guess one kind of fundamental thing that I don't think we've mentioned is that you can't use miles to book every flight that you can buy. So the airlines obviously want to sell their tickets for cash instead of giving them away for points. And so maybe five or 10% of all the flights have some seats that are available with points. And that's like the, the dreaded blackout dates, you know, that you hear about with, uh, you know, the Capital One commercial saying like, oh, we don't have these. Um, and it's true, but Capital One points are worth way, way less than a lot of the regular airline miles. So the challenge with traditional points and miles is that you have to be either a little bit more flexible with when you're traveling, have, have some flexibility in your dates, um, or you got to plan a little bit further ahead, maybe, uh, and, you know, book your ticket further out. Uh, it's just, you know, it's, it's one of the reasons that, uh, the point system is such a huge savings off of, off of buying a ticket is that you've got some of those restrictions to work with. Um, and so coming back to the, the point about chase and the other types of points that are transferable is that maybe, uh, you know, one of chase's partners is United. And so maybe United miles will work for your trip to Europe which is super common. United miles are awesome for Europe, but they're not as good for South America. And you just can't find your ticket to Brazil with United. And so instead, uh, you can transfer your chase points um, to British Airways, which can book flights on American. And so you can take an American flight from Miami to Brazil. Americans got tons of routes to Brazil. Um, so that's really like the advantage there. And the point is you don't have to know all the details about how all the miles work. Just starting with those transferable points puts you in a really good position. Um, and then if you have questions about trying to book travel, we can help. Okay. And then do all Chase credit cards transfer that way? Because we've got uh, Victoria Brown in the, in the comments asking about the uh, reserve. So you mentioned the preferred. So mm -hmm. it's the same system. Is that correct? Yeah. So Chase's transferable points are called ultimate rewards, right? And uh, they've got a lineup of a few different personal cards. And uh, I'd say they maybe four or five business cards that earn that same points currency. So if you have a small business and you get uh, the Inc. Business Preferred or the Inc. Business Unlimited card for your business spending uh, and pair that with the Sapphire Preferred or the Sapphire Reserve for your personal spending, you're earning the same type of points with both of those cards. And you can just sort of join them together on the Chase website and then transfer them out to, to whatever partner makes sense for your trip. Um, that particular card, the Reserve, is a really good one. Um, but it's got some big time sticker shock because the annual fee is $450. Uh, 
Um, and the thing to remember with the card annual fees is that most of the time, if you understand the benefits of the card and you get a card that is well aligned with the type of travel you do, the, the, the benefits should way outweigh uh, the annual fee. And so to take the example of the, the Sapphire Reserve card, although the fee is $450, you get $300 in travel credit. So every time you buy an Uber ride or stay at a hotel, the first $300 of the year that you spend gets deducted and you're not charged for it. Um, so that leaves you with a $150 fee. And uh, the card comes with lounge access. Um, so you can access uh, priority pass lounges. There's like over a thousand of them worldwide. Uh, there's a ton of airports in the U.S. that have restaurants that are partners with Priority Pass. So if you're passing through, um, you know, let's say uh, Los Angeles and there's like three restaurants there that you can get like $30 of a meal credit uh, for you and a guest. So if you're flying with your friend, you guys go have drinks and some food at the airport and you Priority Pass picks up a $60 bill for food. So you really have to just pay attention to what those benefits are. And you don't necessarily, not everybody should have the Sapphire Reserve card, but for folks that travel a lot, the benefits are easily worth the, the high annual fee. Absolutely, yeah, I have that card and, and $300 off the top, then it's basically $150 to make up. And especially with the, uh, yes, there are cards probably that you can have for free that do no foreign transaction fees, but for me, the no foreign transaction fees, yeah. I'm abroad all the time. So, so that makes a lot of, yeah. It's such it, a sneaky thing, the foreign transaction fees, man. It's like, so for folks that aren't familiar with it, a lot of cards that don't have that zero foreign transaction fee benefit, anytime you use the card outside of the country, it takes like two and a half to 3% off the top and just charges you this extra amount. And so, you know, if you're on like a, a couple week trip, maybe it's not huge, but especially if you're more in digital nomad mode and you're living abroad for long periods of time, those fees just eat your life. They take a ton of extra spending power away. No, of course. And I did want to shout out a couple of people that were watching somebody, Joe D'Ambrose, a buddy from college asked, uh, he knows me from my college days. Apparently he asked if I was drinking a 40 ounce and <laughs> uh, well, it's 33.8 fluid liters of mountain Valley spring water. So uh, yeah, we've got, uh, Daniel Di Piazza, of course, Rich Twenty Something uh, podcast guest, multiple podcast guests. We got Matt Torin from YoungEntrepreneur.com. We've got Angel, former under thirty experience or under thirty experiences alumni, Jennifer Ianolo, who's been uh, following what we're doing for a long time. Lauren Coffee, we got a trip leader. Lauren, I think, is in Costa Rica right now. Uh, Victoria Brown, she's our Boston community manager who has a, a question that we should uh, ask before she has to probably take off and go do something fun. Uh, Roland, our, our manager in Peru, a former trip leader from Costa Rica. Jonathan is down here. Uh, Chris, former uh, under 30 experiences traveler or, or alumni rather. Uh, Andrew Mercier, longtime under 30 experiences traveler. But Heather Marie, who were just on the yoga trip in Bali with a ton of, ton of people coming through, at least to, to say hi. But I did want to uh, get Victoria's question about, we're ta already talking about the $450 uh, cards. She has a uh, question between the Chase Reserve and the Amex Platinum. What would mm -hmm. you recommend? 
So and, uh, that actually comes down to a lot uh, on the type of travel that you're doing and, and even as much as home airport, um, because the big difference with the Platinum card or one of the major benefits that they have is the Amex Centurion lounges. Um, so uh, I'm, in, I'm in Austin here and uh, almost all the flights that I take route through Houston or Dallas, or at least there's a lot of options for that. Both of those airports have an Amex Centurion lounge, which is just far and away the best lounge domestically in the U.S. There's a lot of great lounges internationally, but the U.S. airlines themselves are just way behind. Uh, so the, the Delta Sky Clubs and the American Airlines lounges are just, they don't measure up nearly as well. So if you happen to either live in an airport with a Centurion lounge or tend to fly through one of those airports frequently, uh, that's a really good reason to, to pick up the Amex Platinum card. Um, another thing about the, uh, the Platinum card is that it comes with elite status for uh, Marriott hotels and also for Hilton. Uh, it's sort of the mid-tier status, so it's not like the super high-level status, but it comes with you know, 4 p.m. checkout, uh, so you get like guaranteed late checkout. Um, you get early check-in if it's available. Um, you get a couple of different car rental statuses where you get like a free upgrade with, with uh, you know, Hertz, I think, and Avis and Enterprise. So like you got to kind of look head-to-head with the, the different benefits for the card to see which ones will come in more handy. Um, Amex points are really similar to Chase points in that uh, they can transfer. I think Amex has now 17 airline transfer partners. Um, and there's a little bit of overlap between Amex and Chase, but they also have some unique ones. Um, and so you really can't go wrong with either type of points. It's just, I guess, which card uh, has the benefits that, that align best with you. Um, the other thing about the Amex card is that one's a $550 fee for the personal version, um, but it comes with $200 in Uber credit that you get like $15 a month. So if you ride with Uber a lot, you're going to take advantage of that. And it also comes with a airline fee credit. Um, so it's got the same sort of structure where you can knock out big chunks of that annual cost by, by utilizing the benefits. I forgot about that Uber, or that Uber, yeah. uh, and you just get credited that fifteen dollars every every month. I need to look yeah, at it's my use account, it or lose it. Connected. So you have to use it uh, every month. So that's kind of like okay. where they're banking on some breakage there, or like you know that you won't always take advantage. For those of you doing the math out there, they give you thirty five in December. Uh, so that's where the the rest the rest of the money comes in. Um, but it's two hundred dollars total, uh, and. It also works for Uber Eats. So even if you have your own car or don't, oh, wow. don't use Uber that much, you can always just like order, order some food and, and knock out the, the 15 bucks every month. Oh, okay. That, no, that's great because that's what uh, I have for business. So I have one, one for personal and one for business, of course, but I mm -hmm. forgot about that Uber credit. I'm a Lyft user and I have uh, on Lyft, I earn Delta points and yeah. double points for I just realized I saw my statement or, or somewhere I saw this um, or I went to previous rides in Lyft and I saw on my uh, statement or, or whatever that you get double points on Delta if you get picked up from an airport on Lyft. So I thought that was, uh, yeah, I thought that was yeah. pretty cool as well. Um, and I did want to make one quick I wanted to point one thing out if you are using Chase a lot and you're a small business owner. So say you have um, say you have a, a Chase Inc. Right. For your business and say you have the uh, one of the Chase Sapphire cards for your personal and you're doing your checking uh, business checking and all, all that everything with Chase. 
I would be careful and spread your credit out with uh, different banks because when I went to reserve, when I went to talk to Chase about uh, a line of credit, an emergency line of credit for the business, they said, "Okay, well, you already have X, you know, thousands of dollars out with." Uh, in credit cards here. So let's count that towards your credit line. And then they only offered us a smaller amount. So something for small business owners to, to look out for. Um, yeah. One, one comment about uh, that. Sure. There's a lot of benefits to diversifying uh, your relationships with banks. Um, so one of them, the, one of the most basic ones on the travel side is just that different points work for different trips. Um, so, you know, my points portfolio looks like, you know, maybe seven or eight different types of miles and points. Um, but from a financial perspective, um, because these banks are all competing with each other, you know, like the Sapphire Reserve and the MX Platinum are directly set up to compete for the same types of customers. And there's a lot of mid-tier cards. There's a card from City that pretty much matches the Sapphire Preferred. Uh, there's cards from Amex that are targeting that same group. And so by spreading it out and diversifying your relationships with the banks, um, number one, it's possible to get a lot more total credit limit, which helps strengthen your score. Um, so even if Chase, you know, Chase maybe says, okay, I'm only going to give Eric $10,000 a limit because, you know, that's just what we're, we're comfortable with based on his score. Well, City wants, wants some of my business too. So they're probably going to give me $10,000 $10, in credit. And so is Amex. And so you can, number one, strengthen your score a lot. But number two, uh, when I was in South Africa, uh, something happened with my Amex account and all my cards were frozen. And so it's also really important just from a practical perspective when you're traveling, I always have more than one type of car. You know, number one, Amex isn't as accepted widely internationally. So a lot of times you need a Visa or a MasterCard. But number two, if something happens, if your card number gets stolen, uh, the banks might not be able to get you a replacement card right away. And so having a card from multiple banks when you're traveling is just super important to make sure that you don't ever get stuck with without a card that you can use to, to pay for things in the, in the short term. Yeah, Eric, do you have a good recommendation for a backup personal travel card with no foreign transaction fees because I was just in Bali and uh, I had fraud on my card on that prefer or on that uh, reserve card or whatever mm -hmm. it's called from, from Chase. And then for all my personal expenses, I, my trip instantly became 3% more expensive because yeah. all my purchases that were not in cash uh, were on a, on a, I don't know, some credit card that I opened when I was 18, my first credit card ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do, so do you, but I, but I don't want to pay a, a fee because I put everything on that preferred or that reserve called the, the Sapphire card, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know off the top of my head, there are a couple of cards that are no annual fee and no foreign transaction fee, and it's starting to, to grow a little bit. Um, I, I can't think off the top of my head of, of one that I know for sure is a no foreign transaction fee, but there's a couple of them. Um, and so, you know, that's something I can, I can dig up and, and if you have any, any notes or like anything that's going to go out afterwards, we can, we can put that in the, the records for, for the conversation. Um, sure. but, you know, it's, it's definitely a good idea to have multiple cards that don't have a fee. I think for most people, uh, there's probably two different cards out there that the benefits totally pay for, for whatever the fee is. Um, so there's a lot of cards in like the 75 to $95 annual fee range that are worth having so that you could have have more than one uh, without an annual fee. 
Um, the other thing that I, I recommend, uh, and I just, I absolutely love that Schwab is still doing this because I thought it was going to be a short-term thing. Um, but Schwab has an investor checking account where not only do they, so with ATM cards, the, the gouging with fees is so much worse than the, the credit card fees. So like when you go to withdraw money, most banks will charge you like a flat fee of like three to five dollars, a percentage fee of like one or two percent of the amount you're withdrawing. And then on top of that, the ATM that you're using abroad generally charges a fee too. So like when I was in Spain, all the ATMs were like two or three euro fees. Uh, a lot of banks would be charging a couple of dollars plus a percentage. And Schwab's investor checking account, there's no fee, no monthly fee. It's like a free account. And not only do they not charge any fees themselves, but they cover ATM fees from, from the ATM itself. Um, so that's a really good account to open up and just have as a backup. You don't have to make it your like daily checking account or whatever, but just to have that so that you can move some money in there and withdraw it with no fees abroad. And, you know, there's still a lot of places in the world, frankly, where you, you still need cash, you know, like credit cards are great sure. and I use them when I can. Um, but a lot of times you just got to go to an ATM and, and pay cash. Um, and so that's a really good way to access your, your money uh, without getting just taken to the cleaners by, by the bank fees. Yeah, and, and especially, and and um, people are going to think I have every credit card under the sun, but those are my three go-tos, yeah. right? That I yeah. mean, that's a, if uh, you if you travel a lot, if you're a hardcore traveler, those are are definitely three ones that I've been very very happy with. Um, but abroad, if you go to stick your card in the machine, sure, your your bank is charging you a fee, and then the machine is charging you, and then you get, you know, whatever the exchange rate is, etc. So it can be, you know, turn out to like $8 at the end of the day. And if you can only withdraw $100, you know, some ATMs, like yeah, yeah. Uh, in Costa Rica, I know the ATM where I can get uh, <laughs> 200,000 colones, which is almost four hundred dollars. Yeah. So I only have to stick the card in once. Yeah. Uh, now it doesn't matter because I have that that uh, Charles Schwab card. But when I'm other places and I don't and I'm not a local and I don't know if you got to stick your card in two or three times, uh, which is dangerous by the way. It's a great way for it to get shut off on you. But <laughs> yeah. then you know then it's eight dollars, sixteen dollars, twenty four dollars yeah. to up. take out. The, you know, 300 bucks. So um, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. So uh, Eric, I wanted to, to kind of get us back on track with uh, if somebody was trying to start, you know, become a travel hacker from start starting from scratch uh, and they wanted to sign up and get some bonus miles, you know, they want to go abroad or they want to go, they want to go somewhere but they want to take advantage of a card that is going to give them bonus miles so that they can just pack up and go. Uh, like I told you, I got offered today that United card with 50,000 bonus miles and I turned it down. Uh, talk to me about those type of offers and if you recommend them. So I think the, the one thing is to do your homework uh, before you impulsively sign up for one of those because the banks are so good at giving you fewer miles than they're giving the guy next door. Uh, like they're truly doing like some serious price uh, like uh, discrimination in their testing of offers. And so at any given time, you actually got what I think is probably the highest offer that's currently available for the Mileage Plus card. Um, but that card has, within the last 12 months, been at 70000 40000 30000 
and 50,000. And so I've seen all of those offers. And so a big part of what we have to do as a business is just keep track of like what is going on with all these different cards. Um, because throughout a, a annual cycle, there's a relative high uh, and you kind of got to know whether you're getting a good deal for the particular card. Um, and there's quite a few resources out there that kind of track, um, you know, if you just Google a card name, you can kind of find out um, what the what the offer is and what it's been. But unfortunately, uh, one of the things is that a lot of the websites that talk about these cards are also making commissions on on people signing up. And that's also one of the ways that we make money as a, as a business. And so you have to be uh, a little bit more diligent about just kind of doing your own homework when you're picking a card. Um, I would say, though, uh, that in general, um, you want to be looking for, you know, around 50,000 points is, is 50 or 60 is right now kind of the high watermark or the, the place where most cards are sitting. And then there's a couple like occasional bonuses where, you know, the Sapphire Reserve, when it first launched, was at 100,000 points. Uh, and so those are the ones that Oof. are really great if you can catch, you know, catch the timing on those. Um, and so, again, if you're just kind of doing it on your own, um, you want to look for, I think, you know, the Chase Sapphire Preferred is at 50,000 right now. The City Thank You card is at 50,000, was at 60 like a month ago. Um, and so if you don't want to like sort through it all, um, you can create a free account at a Broaders and we'll look at uh, what cards you have and tell you which ones that would be a good fit for you are at a relative high right now. Um, so that can potentially save you some some extra work. but. Um, overall, you know, just be aware that those, those numbers move around and it takes, you know, maybe 15 minutes extra to kind of double check and make sure that like somebody else isn't getting 20,000 extra points. And, uh, especially the ones that happen with checkouts, uh, for whatever reason, you got a really good offer there, but I see it all the time where like, I'm checking out with like Southwest and they're offering like 10,000 points less than what it, you just go to the website like the regular website for the card and it's showing 50,000 points right now. And they're like trying to give you 30 because you're in a transaction and you're not paying attention. Um, so watch out for that. Makes sense. Yeah. I, w I was a good 40,000 miles short on the flight that I was trying to buy today. So mm -hmm. that's, that's the one, that's why they offered me probably that 50,000. Yeah. If, if the computer was smart, which uh, computers often often are so okay so where can people go with those type of miles i mean i know this is a very complicated subject but could you break it down a little bit for us yeah so i think if you're if you're trying to learn about how this stuff works uh one of the most kind of fundamental pieces to understand is uh the airline alliances and the relationships common things that people misunderstand about miles is if you have american miles you're not limited to american flights you've got about 25 airlines that you can book. on. So American Miles can book flights with Thin Air, with British Airways, with Iberia, with Cathay Pacific, with Japan Airlines, with Air Tahiti, with, you know, there's just a ton of different options. And the really frustrating thing is that AA.com shows you like 25% of your options and the rest of them you have to call to book. So the first thing if you're trying to use your miles is spend a little bit of time understanding what airlines your miles can book flights with. Um, and so that's like by far the first first step to, to trying to book a trip. Um, generally speaking though, uh, you can use miles to all parts of the world. Um, Australia and New Zealand uh, and the Pacific from North America is probably the hardest um, destination with miles. And it's because one, uh, sales for those tickets are really strong. 
and they're collecting a, a high premium and there's just not that many routes. Uh, you know, there's only like 20 or 30 direct flights from the U S to Australia or New Zealand. There's, you know, it's a long distance. There's not that many convenient ways to fly there. Um, so that's one of the trickier ones. Uh, Africa can be a little bit harder too. Um, but there's also great ways around that. You know, if you want to go to Australia, uh, it's much, much easier if you want to make a couple of days stop in, in Southeast Asia on the way. And you can see another really cool destination as well. So it can be a positive, you know, if you don't have to get there, you know, for a conference or for a wedding. Um, and so, you know, I think like just generally for, for booking the travel, uh, one, know who the airline partners are. There's three major alliances. Um, so there's One World, which is American in the U.S., uh, there's Star Alliance, which is United, and then there's Sky Team, which is Delta. And each of them have a ton of international partners. And then there's maybe 30 or 40 relatively big airlines that are independent, and they just make friends on one-on-one -on -one basis with other airlines. Um, the second thing to, to know when you're getting ready to book some travel is that there's a, uh, there's a specific price that you're supposed to pay in miles. Uh, and most of the airlines organize those in award charts. So like the US to Europe is 60,000 miles round trip in economy. And there's a ton of airlines that try and get away with charging you more than that minimum price. And so uh, that's another big step is to just find out what the saver price is, which is the, the cheapest number of miles that you could pay. And that's where you have to do a little bit of work on finding the dates that aren't blacked out because they don't give away the saver price. Like if you're looking to go uh, someplace over Christmas, like go look for a flight to Hawaii from like December 26th to January 3rd. It's impossible with miles right now. But if you did that for next year, sometime in January, you'd probably find some stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's just a matter of kind of knowing what the price is supposed to be uh, with miles and, um, you know, just doing a little bit of homework before you, you book your trip, because there's often a lot of options that the airlines don't show you uh, intentionally because they, they, they get away with it. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then, all right. So if you have your three, uh, one world sky team and star Alliance. Yep. So, um, one of the questions that, that came up before is, uh, it, this is, this is from miles from under 30 experiences. Is it better to apply for bonus miles with every airline and spread them out or just one or two and just primarily stick to those that's one of, that was one of the questions that came in because nobody likes having 10 different accounts and then you realize you're flying different airlines so are are you just a fan of sticking to to one or two within those uh alliances that's a great question uh i would say um so number one you want to build up enough points that you can actually book a trip Right. So that's where it comes to like, know the minimum amount. And just for like kind of high level reference, like a domestic round trip in the U.S. is is typically about twenty five thousand for economy. So twelve five each way. Um, a round trip internationally is usually like thirty to forty thousand each way. So sixty to eighty round trip. There's no use to having eleven thousand frequent flyer miles in any account. You just can't use them. Right. There's not right. any flights that they'll work for. Um, so that's the minimum threshold. And I always recommend that people start thinking about diversifying to other types of miles once they've got at least one trip or at the minimum a one way with a specific type of miles. So if you've got 35,000 American miles, you probably want to get to 60. So you got enough for a round trip. But at that point, you've got a one way ticket with American. And if you see a good offer for a United card, you might get that. And then you've got outbound with American, return with United. 
Um, so that's kind of your minimum uh, threshold is a one-way ticket is the number of miles. And for the most part, unless you travel all over the place all the time, uh, you don't need to be super diversified, uh, especially if you stick with Chase or Amex or City Points that can be transferred because they're so flexible in, in the types of programs they can go to that they kind of have their own diversification built in. Okay. And uh, what about economy premium uh, or these, these economy uh, premium economy or, or every airline calls it a little something yeah, different. Yeah. Delta they love naming things, don't they? Yeah. And, and just confusing the matter, right? Yeah. Uh, Delta's was comfort plus. Yeah. And uh, I was, I was looking for a, a long haul flight and I, uh, used, I, I think it was Seat Guru, and I looked and I thought, all right, is this premium economy or this Delta Comfort Plus going to be worth it? And I looked up, and in fact, there was no, there was nothing special about the seat. It might have been like a little fancy leather or or something, but did it give me any arm space no, between me and the guy? No, it was yeah. still a little, yeah. And, and was there? Could I? recline any farther or put my legs up on something and and some airlines in the premium uh, economy really do hook you up and give you a, a nice bit of extra space delta was not one of them so i scratched that yeah. idea all altogether uh, but it seemed very difficult because i was looking at cash and miles to find that slightly upgraded uh, class of service because mm -hmm. uh, obviously business is very expensive and economy, you know, it's basically you're in the chicken bus if you're flying over an ocean. Uh, yeah. Is there any way uh, around that or is it just not something that the uh, booking systems have really are really doing well or offering? So uh, it's a really good question. Um, we First of all, the U.S. airlines are way behind the rest of the world in offering something between economy and business. So uh, yeah. go figure. But American Delta and United just don't have that uh, as a cabin. And it's maybe, you know, a cultural thing. Like they know their customers pretty well. They'd do it if they were going to make money on it. But um, one thing is, you know, if you've got a choice between flying Delta and flying Air France, Air France's economy cabin is practically Delta's Comfort Plus cabin. You know, like they already have more room built in. Um, they are going to have better food. They're going to have just a nicer flying experience. So uh, one thing to be aware of is that the airline you actually fly on is a huge factor in comfort and economy. Um, and as a general rule, just avoid the U.S. carriers. Uh, that's true for most of the world. You know, like if you if you can fly on Singapore Airlines instead of United, take it. If you can fly on Lufthansa instead of United, that's that's the flight you want. Um, the second thing, though, is that there's a there's a difference between uh, a lot of airlines have a separate premium economy cabin, which has different seats. And that's the difference is like if the configuration you go to seat guru, it's a great resource. Um, there's the U.S. airlines generally just have economy with slightly more space. So they just have the seats apart a little bit further. So you got 35 inches instead of your kneecaps broken at 31, which might be worth it uh, anyways. You know, like it's still nice to have a little extra space. Um, but the premium economy products that are really worthwhile are the ones that are a separate cabin in the plane uh, with, you know, generally have between 20 and, and 35 seats that are bigger seats, recline. Sometimes they have a footrest. It's got a separate meal service. It's not the same food as economy. 
Um, so that's something to be aware of. Um, and for the most part, the U.S. frequent flyer programs, with the exception of Delta, you can't use American and United miles to book that cabin. So even though American's partner, Cathay Pacific, has an awesome premium economy cabin, you can't use American miles to book it because they just they don't believe in premium economy, I guess. Um, and so that's why the, the transferable points are super valuable, because you can use chase points to book it by uh, booking through British Airways. Um, and so that's like one of the places. The other thing, though, is for folks that have I know a lot of your audience at least has, you know, businesses and, you know, potentially has the possibility of generating a lot of miles through business spending. Um, so I wanted to kind of address the, the trade off with business class as well, because for long haul flights, a lot of times where things are going, at least recently with miles, uh, is that because of all these new low cost carriers, you know, when you're seeing like $400 round trips to Europe, you're not going to win with miles. Like you should just buy that ticket. Like it's $400, you know, it's right. different if you're, if you're looking at a $1,200 trip or, you know, a $1,300 trip, then like the miles really pay off. But with business and first class, those tickets to buy cost like five or six grand sometimes for a round trip. And the number of miles, like typically a business or first class ticket with miles is about two times as expensive in miles as an economy ticket. And the taxes are often really close to the same. So like a uh, round trip to Europe uh, with United Miles is 60,000 uh, and a one-way business class with United Miles can be 60 or 70,000. So uh, you might be better off just paying, you know, either buying a one-way flight in economy and, you know, digging it out in the back with the, the chicken bus for a while uh, and booking a business or a first class ticket on the other direction. Um, and that's one of the places where miles can just come through huge because the, the increase in the number of points you need just doesn't scale with the increase in the cost to buy the ticket. Um, and so, you know, I find for the most part, I still fly economy even on long haul stuff, but every once in a while, I mean, it's such a cool experience to splurge. And when your out of pocket cost is still under 150 bucks, you know, for the taxes, um, it can be it can be really cool to to do the business and first class thing, and especially if you've got uh, you know three thousand to ten thousand in monthly spending, that's super attainable a couple of times a year even. Sure, sure. No, that that makes sense. Um, I'm just gonna check since we are on Facebook Live. I'm gonna check my battery. Uh, I'm I'm golden, fifty seven percent. You might want to do the same on good, yours because I've call, had. Man. I've had uh, these get cut short before, and that's that's no problem, or that's me, no that's no fun. Yeah, let me. Uh, How you let doing? Me get plugged in. Not not as good as I should be. My phone's at like twenty four, and I need to replace this phone because it'll go from like twenty four to zero in in two seconds sometimes. So. Okay, glad uh, glad we're on top we're of it. Cool. Um, all right, so that actually, and could you just? Uh, I'd love to ask your opinion. Is it worth it, business or first? I know it's a subjective question, but what do you think? Uh, I mean, so first of all, uh, be careful because once you once you do it, it really sucks to fly economy. Uh, so if you're happy in economy, you might consider not trying it uh, because it'll change the way you you think about uh, long haul travel. I would never do it on on a flight, you know, eight hours or less. Uh, it's just not worth it. You know, like maybe as as you get older, um, you know, I think like the toll of flying, especially going across a lot of time zones, can can get worse. Um, but uh, you know. 
especially to Asia, you know, like when you're looking at like a 13 hour, 14 hour flight, uh, it's definitely worth it. Uh, and, you know, especially if, um, you know, you take a little bit of time to look into the business class products, because uh, number one, uh, for folks that fly mostly domestically, you know, first class means a bigger seat, right? And that's essentially like the premium economy cabin on international long haul. So what we're talking about with the, the business and first is like a lay flat, you know, 180 degree recline, you get a bed to sleep in. And so you can, you know, just conk out for the, the 12 hour flight and wake up refreshed and ready to roll. Uh, especially for folks, you know, where you've got to fly out right before something important, you got to be rested when you get there. Um, or, you know, if you've just got a lot of long, long travel and you've just been grinding, I think, you know, the payoff can be huge. Uh, and again, you know, is it worth not, not getting two economy, uh, one way tickets to do a business class one way? I think for a lot of people, the answer would be, you know, I can probably buy those, those two economy flights and, and I'll take the business class on this, this ultra long haul one. Um, and the second thing is do your research on, on the airlines. Again, just if you want a general rule, just give preference to the international uh, airlines. Asia, Asian airlines are really awesome in business class. There's a couple of great carriers in Europe. Uh, the Middle Eastern carriers um, are just blowing everybody away right now. Uh, so if you have a chance to use miles, uh, look at the partner airlines of the U.S. programs that are not U.S. airlines, and you're going to get a way nicer experience. Okay. What are your, some of your favorite long-haul economy uh, airlines? Uh, so I think I'm, the ones that I've, I've traveled in and, like, it struck me that, like, this doesn't feel like economy uh, would be Singapore. Um, they used to have a Fifth Freedom route. Uh, Fifth Freedom is, like, when an airline flies between two countries that are not their own. So, like, most of Singapore's routes are from Singapore to somewhere, right? Um, but they used to have a route from Barcelona to Sao Paulo. And hmm. I took that flight in economy and it's nine seats across. And if you've noticed the many of the other airlines are getting to 10 and sometimes even 11 seats across in economy, it's the same plane, you know, like they all buy the Boeing 777. They're just cramming more seats in. And that's why, you know, you're sitting like this with Bubba on one side and, you know, so uh, that's a big difference there. Uh, the food uh, was impressively good for, for economy. Um, I think Air France has a pretty nice economy cabin. Um, I think I haven't flown a lot of international airlines that, you know, were seemed special, but I also, um, you know, like the difference is just a couple of inches of legroom. And a lot of times over the course of, you know, a long flight that that can be a huge difference in, in your comfort, especially if you're tall. Sure, sure. No, that that makes sense. And and sometimes just the, the novelty and I'll, I will always, always, look at uh, Star Tracks before I book on some airline that I don't know about. Uh, one, if I'm in, you know, Southeast Asia or something flying around, I do look at safety. Uh, but two, just to see what the experience might be like. And uh, if I'm going on a long haul, I, I really hope that it's a four or five star, three, okay. But you don't want to start getting in a, a crappy economy long haul flight. I mean, that's, yeah, that's really, that's really pushing it. Um, you're, you're just setting yourself up for that. And again, I mentioned seat guru. So then you can, you know, not make the dumb decision and get the, the seat that doesn't recline or the one next to the bathroom because you didn't know. And some of these seat maps, when you go to book, 
don't show you where the bathroom is, but you have to toggle over. Um, and, you know, you can yeah. continue. We could nerd out all day. And uh, I want to be respectful of your time and, and let you go in a little bit here. But uh, the, the airline, you know, some it will say it will say Dreamliner. And if I see Dreamliner, especially in the first couple of years that this plane was out, it's a much nicer experience. It's yeah. it's quieter. And now I from what I saw today, a seven eighty seven seven eighty seven three hundred or something like that. Uh maybe I'm maybe I miss I don't have the plane down exactly, but it's it's a little. It is the Dreamliner. Is that correct? Do you know about this? So they've got a. Uh, I think the way that the Dreamliner has been rolling out is like seven eighty seven dash eight was the first one, and they're That's just working right. their now way there's up, a so dash, like nine. dash nine or dash ten. Um, okay. The thing about that plane is that the I think the biggest difference in the experience for most people is that they have a a new uh, system for keeping the air humidified. And so uh, the level of moisture, like if you're one of those people that gets off a plane and just like wants to stick your head underwater for half an hour because you're just so dry, uh, that's something that I noticed with that. Uh, the A350, which is just starting to get delivered to a lot of the airlines, is also uh, one of the ones that has this new system. Um, so there's some yeah. things like that for sure uh, that can be worthwhile in terms of just paying attention to which aircraft is operating your flight. Um, Seat Guru is a really good, good site for that. Uh, be aware that that can change. Um, it's a lot more relevant. Like we do a lot of business and first class bookings um, as like a service. And so what we end up paying a lot of attention to is that many of those 180 degree recline, super nice seats uh, vary a lot from aircraft to aircraft, even within the same airline, because they're always on this rolling basis of installing new, new products. And so um, it's definitely worth taking a look at uh, what airplane you're flying. And especially if you book something in business class with the intention of, of getting like a certain experience, you want to watch that flight up until departure because sometimes they swap them uh, and you're entitled to switch your ticket for free or cancel your ticket for free when they, when they do that uh, with most of these programs. So it's a good oh, thing okay. to know. Uh, and also, even if it, you don't care about the seat, but uh, you know, if you're in business class and they swap the plane, uh, and you just need to cancel your ticket because you changed your, your plans. Um, that can be a nice get out of jail free card where you don't have to pay that $200 change fee or whatever to, to get out of your flight. Okay. That's, that's real nice. Uh, I don't know if you've flown this route, but you are Austin based Austin to Gatwick on the Dreamliner with Norwegian in their premium economy. Have you flown that? I have not, man. I took the, uh, I took the direct British Airways flight when it opened up from Heathrow. Oh. Uh, that was my, my first international direct flight to Austin. Uh, I was, uh, I was traveling around Europe a little bit and that was, that was super nice. I mean, it's such a win not to have to connect somewhere uh, in the U S and just arrive at your destination. Yeah, well, what they've done with this Norwegian Air is taken the first class and said, all right, we don't care about champagne and caviar. What we do care about is having a comfortable seat. And they've made the first class their premium economy. And yeah. so their seats that recline real far, you know, it's not a flatbed, but it's a really comfortable experience for not very much money. And it's a, they are a low cost uh, carrier and they've they've just thought about that i mean first of all it's the new this dreamliner plane but they've thought about things really well where their screen has the menu on it and you just order a la carte whatever you want they don't come up and down the aisles they don't they don't yeah. care just okay yeah, you yeah. want a bottle of water 
order it, it's three bucks and that's the way it is for the next 10 hours. And I, I really enjoyed my experience there. Yeah. Yeah. There's some, uh, there's some really, uh, good things that are happening with, uh, with the low cost carriers coming into the market. Um, you know, Norwegian's got a unique model. They're doing really well financially. I think, um, they've been expanding really fast and it's driving down the prices, uh, you know, on, on buying tickets. And it's also, you know, changed the dynamic a little bit on what's what's available with miles. Um, so, you know, that's a good thing to also keep in mind is um, for some of these trips, if you're looking for, you know, premium economy uh, and miles aren't working, a lot of times, you know, airlines like Norwegian can offer you what you're trying to get uh, anyways for, for a reasonable amount of, of cash. And then you just save the miles for, for next time. Um, and, you know, assume you're going to you're going to take another trip, and start planning for it. Excellent. Excellent. So if somebody is trying to keep track of their rewards, this is something that drove me nuts for a while because you've got the, you know, you've got your points with Chase and then with Amex and then with uh, Delta. And of course I have One World and of course I have the, the uh, Star Alliance and then for what they're worth, the Starwood points. And then you got your Hilton points and yeah. probably have Avis points, but I've never even checked. There used to be things that tried to connect. I mean, I'm sure the services still exist that try to pull and show all of your points in one package. I never found that they worked that well. What would you tell someone? Man, the, the one that we use is Award Wallet, and uh, they are really, really good. Um, so really, yeah, they're, they're, uh, so we've been kind of partners with them for a long time because they actually facilitate our booking service. Uh, so if you want help with booking a ticket, we, you just tell us when and where, and we book the ticket and a war wallet actually makes it possible. So if you have all your accounts saved there, um, we can see, you know, you can share that with us, uh, on a limited basis and say, okay, this is how many points I have. That way you don't have to go through and like type out, okay, I got 112,000 American. I got this many chase. Um, but the benefit is like, uh, just trying for an individual trying to keep track of their points, uh, is that you just put in your frequent flyer number and your login for the airline website with award wallet and they will pull your balances in and show them to you. And they'll also show you your expiration date. Um, the expiration, if you have a lot of accounts, I think they only give the expiration, uh, warnings for three accounts or you have to pay, like, I think it's maybe 20 bucks a year or something like that, uh, which is really worth it if you have a lot of points. Um, but it's like, uh, like mint.com or like personal capital, like the sites that pull in all of your financial transactions from different, uh, banks, but the model is around frequent flyer miles. And so, um, the one thing that they're uh, a little bit slow on is, Basically, the, uh, a couple of the U.S. airlines, uh, and it's only the U.S. ones, have decided that uh, they don't want uh, Award Wallet to access your account. And so United and Delta and Southwest have all given them cease and desist, basically. And so if you want to track those points, you basically just have to uh, set your email in those frequent flyer accounts so that your statement goes mm. to Award Wallet. Um, it only takes like a couple minutes to set up, and it works great. So... Um, if you have big balances with United Delta or Southwest, uh, that's the workaround. But beyond that, uh, Award Wallet integrates with everybody, uh, including all the bank programs. Um, and I, I really like the, the um, management team there. Um, and they, they're super sharp. Uh, they're really good on security. Um, so it's, it's a great place to, to track all your points and just stay on top of everything without having to like go log into one site after another to see where you're at. 
Great. Yeah, that's a nice workaround because with the Word Wallet, that was one of my biggest gripes with it yeah. was that United and Delta I couldn't see. And those are, you know, where I fly domestically yeah. uh, with those two as, as much as I can. Um, okay, excellent. Uh, one, one, okay, th like three more questions popped into my head, but I want to, uh, yeah, I want to let you go here in, in a couple minutes. Um, so I asked you, what you would uh what you would do for credit cards i've asked you about keeping track of all of these i've asked where to actually book um damn we've we've made some some headway here i think so um man. yeah I, I i think that's really good if there's any if there's any is there any last advice that you might give somebody if they are looking to just save money on travel in general. It doesn't necessarily have to be through miles and points, but it can be. What would you tell people out there? Uh, I think, I mean, you know, in terms of how to save money generally on travel, uh, one of the things that's outside of the points and miles domain is that, again, like uh, if you just value having a, a different kind of experience, getting out of your comfort zone a little bit, there's so many places in the world that are not expensive to travel, uh, you know, to live, to spend time, you know, hotels, food. Southeast Asia is a great one. There's a lot of places in Latin America that are cheap. There's a lot of places in Eastern Europe that are, are way less expensive. Um, and so, you know, in terms of saving money, I think that people overlook that, that because it's so simple. But, um, you know, if you want to have a trip where your quality of, of life and you're like you're living like a baller, uh, go to Bali, Indonesia, and, you know, spend 30 bucks a night for like a place that would cost 300 bucks a night in Europe. Um, so that's one thing. If you've got a little bit more time and you want to stretch your dollar further, the places that you pick are really important. And it doesn't mean that you can't spend a night in Hong Kong on the way through, you know, and have like that really cool experience. But just know that that's going to be like New York City. Um, that's the thing that I think has stretched my dollar the furthest is uh, being deliberate about where I pick and, you know, just trying to stop in places that are really cool that I think like, okay, when I've got a lot more money and, or, you know, just have budgeted for this, I'm going to come back and like really explore this place. But for now I'm going to do like a 24 hour stopover and just check it out, you know, spend one night in a hotel and then get back on the plane and go someplace where I can, I cannot worry about the financial part so much. Um, so that would be my advice on the, on the just generally saving money with travel. Um, and for point stuff, I think that uh, the biggest obstacle is to get started. And like a lot of people uh, that we, you know, when we get questions, a lot of them are just about um, some of the unknowns around, you know, what about these annual fees? What's it going to do to my credit? Um, you know, is this too much to deal with? Am I signing up for like a 10 hour a week job? Uh, and there is a lot of complexity with this. And so I think like the advice there is to just start with one car and a game plan about where you want to travel. Um, and if you'd like help with that, uh, we are like, we're still learning a ton about how people engage with the process. Um, so we do free consultations with folks. Um, I'll hop on a call to talk with people because it's super valuable for me too, because I'm learning about how people are just kind of dealing with these travel challenges and like what stuff uh, is hard for them about the, the loyalty programs. Um, so we set up a free account on our site that you can sign up and just give us like super basic info about your travel plans. Um, and we'll try and help you get started that way. But if not, just 
give it a shot, you know, start with that first card, book that first trip. I guarantee, you know, that you'll, you'll be hooked from there. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot more downside to not exploring this because, uh, this is also not really available outside of the U S um, you know, the relationship between the banks and the airlines is super unique in the U S you can't earn miles like this. If you're from the UK, if you're from South America, if you're from Asia, uh, it, loyalty programs exist, but this way that you can, you know, take your gas and your groceries and turn them into a couple of free flights a year, uh, it's uniquely uh, North American and especially in the U.S. And so, you know, it's, it maybe isn't going to be around for another 15 years. I think it will be, but uh, it's a it's a really crazy time right now with with loyalty. So it's worth taking a look. That's awesome, Eric. And in just a second, I'm going to have uh, have you give everyone your URL and where they can connect with you. But I did want to ask, what resources would you recommend in addition to your own, of course, but you must nerd out on, on the blogs and the forums and, and all of this. Yeah. So where can people start getting into this? Who would you recommend following? Um, so the, the one thing that's tricky about uh, this is that a lot of where I spend my time is just the much more advanced stuff because I'm trying to keep up with all these super you know, detailed nerdy changes that uh, can affect how we do things. And so I'm actually not awesome on the, the front of like where to find the most basic information. Um, I know that when I got started, uh, I, I started with uh, like a Chris Gillibo, uh like ebook. And I don't even know if it's still available, but it was just like super basic. Um, I would say uh, if you want to learn about this, uh, there's a couple of blogs that I follow pretty, pretty frequently. Uh, one mile at a time is a really good one. Um, and you know, sometimes it gets into like a lot more detail than you need, but even just like skimming through that blog or, uh, the points guy can be good. Uh, the, uh, frequent miler is another one that I like a lot. Um, and you know, the problem with it is you got to just skim out or like cut out like 80% of the posts that are either about, you know, people whining about how their elite status benefits are changing. Like there's a lot of really niche stuff in there, but there's also every, you know, every 10th post is something super basic about how these programs work fundamentally. And a lot of the just high level stuff that I've tried to touch on today. So if you're wanting to self-educate, that's a really good place um, to just like take 20 minutes and, and skim through, find an article that looks beginner friendly and, and just kind of start learning about how these things relate to each other. Um, because before you know it, I think you, the picture starts to become a little bit more clear about what the, the possibilities are. Great. And and people can listen into the interview that I did with Chris Gilbu on the Live Different podcast. Ah, nice. We're going to link up. Yeah, we're going to link great up too. all of this. Yeah, he's he's cool. He's he's really, uh, yeah, he's, he's interesting to talk to. I mean, he's been to every country in the world. Of course, he's yeah. picked up some interesting stuff to talk about. But we're going to link all of this up in the show notes on Under 30 Experiences dot com slash blog. Uh, I am working on a book, the Millennial Travel Guidebook. I think that's the first time I've shared the title publicly. So, Hi. and who knows, the public might the title might even change. But that's one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you, Eric, to try to uh, get people going in the right direction. But I highly recommend your podcast as well. I learned a lot, uh, and I have not been a listener for very long. So where can they listen to your podcast, uh, reach out to you for a consultation, or just get involved with your community in general? 
Yeah, uh, Broaders.com uh, is the website. Uh, there's a link to create a, a free account uh, right in the, on the homepage. And so that's really the, the best place to start if you're looking for, for help with just, you know, a quick bit of advice on, on where to start. Um, the podcast, like that is the one piece of content that I put my heart and soul into every week. And, um, you know, we really try and keep that beginner friendly. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. There's a link on the, on the homepage as well. Um, but that's really where we just try and dig into uh, both the earning strategy, which type of points you want to get, and the booking strategy, how to turn the points that you've got into the trip that you want. Um, and so I'm, I'm not super good with, uh, with other formats yet. You know, like I really want to get into to posting more and creating more, I guess, visual resources. But uh, the podcast is really uh, where we, we get into all the, all the details if you want to learn. No, that's awesome, Eric. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for mu so much for being with us on Facebook Live, Lived Podcast, all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate being here. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me. I actually saw a couple of my, my people here on yeah, the uh, please. podcast. Or the, uh, uh, so I got Marcelo, who is a really good friend from uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, that's watching. Uh, I met him on like one of my first ever international trips. Uh, and he's a great dude. So I, I love seeing you on here. Eric Galvis from, from high school. Uh, he was one of my football teammates. Uh, there's a few other names in here that I don't know if they're, they're people that are uh, definitely some other ones that I recognize. David Bedford, um, Mallory McQuinn. Uh, so anyways, awesome to see you guys on here as well. Thanks for, thanks for joining. No, of course. I'll shout out a, a last couple people. Uh, Brian is a buddy of mine from high school. Marco and Eric uh, from Costa Rica are in there. Uh, Robert Harvey, a friend from college. Uh, Kendra, a longtime under 30 CEO and under 30 experiences follower. Uh, Umberto Leon, and he is waving. I tried to wave at everybody. There's a feature there that uh, <laughs> even though we're talking, you can hit wave and uh, at least acknowledge their their presence. Uh, Wilman, another guy from Costa Rica. Michael Malley, an under 30 experiences traveler. Uh, Matt Kelleher from, from college. Drew Pennington, a longtime under 30 CEO follower. Uh, yeah, a lot of just awesome people. Lindsay Dukes from the under 30 experiences offices in austin i will wave at her and uh we're gonna wrap it up so again eric abroaders.com you said yes, and uh yeah we're gonna check out your stuff appreciate it thanks man it was great talking with you